0: Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport, Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show we talk about Andre Anana's big move to Manchester United, also we focus on the FIFA Women's World Cup and assess the chances of newcomers Morocco and we hear from South Africa coach Dez Ellis.
1: All
2: stems from that first game where you get a positive result and then you plan further.
0: That's coming later, plus Stuart on Riyad Mahrez's move to Saudi Arabia and on Lionel Messi moving to the USA. Well, Let's start with the big news that Manchester United have signed Cameroonian goalkeeper Andre Onana from Inter Milan as a replacement for David De Gea. Well, Onana is 27. He joins on a five-year contract with the option for a sixth year. Uh, Man United manager Eric Ten Hag had first moved for Onana at the end of the season, having previously worked with him at Ajax in the Netherlands. Uh, Well, we talked about Onana's skills a few weeks ago and how he's so good with his feet. And uh, having an African goalkeeper in the English Premier League, uh, definitely something to get excited about, Ida.
3: Of course, Steve, and especially now that one goalkeeper has left the EPL to Saudi Arabia, you know, Edward Mendy there from Chelsea to Al-Ali. And Steve, there have been a few African goalkeepers over the years in the English top flight. Let's start with Bruce Grobola from Zimbabwe. Now, he played for Liverpool for over a decade. There's Andre Arendse, the South African, who played for Fulham. And there's Ghanaian Richard Kingsen, who turned out for the likes of Wigan, Blackpool, and Birmingham. Not forgetting Nigerian Karl Ikeme, who spent his entire career at Wolverhampton. Steve, Onana's position might be the most high level of all these, if you ask me, because you consider the stature and the history of Manchester United. It's such a revered club. It's so big. So we have Onana in goal. There's yet another African on the technical bench, South African Benny McCarthy. And I mean, these are definitely steps in the right direction.
0: Yes, and asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week, what are you expecting from Andre Onana at Manchester United? Uh, so as Ida says there, uh, arguably the biggest move ever for an African goalkeeper in the English Premier League. What do you think he can achieve there? He's on a five-year contract, an option of a sixth year as well. Uh, tell us on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight. 0 that's plus 447955232780 what are you expecting from andre anana at manchester united Now, the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup got underway on Thursday with Australia and New Zealand co-hosting, and both teams got wins in their opening matches. There are 32 teams at the month-long tournament. If you're in Africa, the games are on early in the morning, some of them very early indeed. Uh, so there are four African teams there. That's Nigeria, South Africa, Zambia and Morocco. Uh, last week we looked at the chances of Nigeria with all their experience and Zambia who are making rapid progress. So this week we focus on South Africa and on Morocco. Uh, Banyana Banyana are the reigning Women's Africa Cup of Nations champions getting their first title last year uh, beating the host Morocco in the final this audio from the Kossafa podcast, uh, Mark Gleason spoke to the South Africa coach Des Ellis on the journey that uh, they've been through. Football is now not about the rankings anymore. It's about what happens on the
2: field. And, you know, our team, for example, is four years older. Um, much more matured. Um, we have a couple of players playing in good clubs in Europe. Um, the players that just started out at the last World Cup have also matured. And I think coming after the, the WEFCON victory, there's a little bit more pressure now as well in, uh, in doing well at WEFCON. But I think it's possible, you know, to, to try and get out of the group stage because you've got to have a little bit of ambition. Um, you know, you can't be naive and, and also think that it's just going to, going to, going to work like that because all the groups are tough. But I think Morocco has shown when they were not given a chance, in the group they went through and they almost won the World Cup. So you gotta make sure that you're obviously in super physical condition and that your plan really works and that everybody executes the plan really well, you know, and all stems from that first game where you get a positive result and then you plan further. So I don't I don't think we must undermine ourselves um as a continent because uh, we have tremendous talent. Um we must just make sure, you know, that everything leading up to that is really important and everything works out and there could be a few surprises, not just with the teams on the continent. But all over because it has been shown that, you know, it doesn't mean that you ranked in a certain position that you that you're going to get through, that you're going to qualify for the World Cup.
0: And and
1: just in terms of the gap between the established powers, I mean, you, you know, the
0: Americans and the Scandinavians were the sort of the initial powers of women's football. And the, the gap initially, like when Nigeria first went, there was incredible. Where, in your opinion, do we sit in terms
1: of closing that gap?
2: Look, I think there is still a gap. Um, When you look at the opposition that they play on a regular basis, you know, you play in Europe, you can just jump on a bus and then go to the Netherlands or go to Belgium or go to Germany and play. Uh, It's not that easy for us, though. You know, most of the teams we play, most of the teams Nigeria plays are lower ranked than us, um, you know, and doesn't really, with all due respect, give us the resistance that we're looking for. And um, a lot of the countries in Europe, uh, America as well, have fully fledged professional leagues, and that makes a huge difference.
1: And just looking back now, from when you started, I
0: mean, you were in that first game against Swaziland when when we first played a, a, a women's international. To where it is now. I mean, how how can you just can you describe maybe how drastic has it been? Incredibly drastic. How quickly African women's football, with all of the cultural and negative perceptions initially about a woman playing football, that have been broken
1: down. I mean, is it it, would it be fair to describe it as revolutionary?
2: I think so. Yes, I think when you look back. I think i I played over a period of almost ten years and only gone thirty two caps now they play almost half of that matches in one year if you look if you look at it and I mean not in my wildest imagination. Would I've ever thought that we would play the number one country in the world twice? Um, we played uh, Sweden, we've played Netherlands, we've played France. Back then in the days, you could not have imagined that. Back then in the days, you could not have imagined that all the competitions there are now. You you have just in South Africa itself. You know, we just had a league in Cape Town, and we'd have an interprovincial, and we'd all come up and we'd play interprovincials. Now, Caf has have uh, the Caf Champions League. You have the Kosafa Cup. Um, you have the different zonal, zonal tournaments. You have different age group tournaments. Things are really changing on, on the continent. I just think where we need to maybe step up is in youth football. There aren't many competitions and that has to, has to really happen for development to really go that step further and, and get countries, uh, you know, to, to really get leagues up and running. But uh, I think the zonal tournaments have been fantastic and for us, Kusafa have been fantastic because they've allowed us to play and be able to test our players and bring more players on board and allowed us during big tournament years to bring in guest uh, nations like Cameroon and, you know, Uganda, et cetera. And that has really helped us. I think uh, the biggest challenge is schools football in the country. I think uh, CAF has now got a schools competition and we've got to get that back up and running again. I think that foundation phase is so key for, for, for us, especially women's football, because you know when you when you go to any any region, you have boys playing from as young as seven, eight years old. It doesn't really happen in in the women's side, so that has got to really be up and running. I think the ultimate really would be to have a professional league. You know, everybody's yearn for that. Where the best play against the best, best every week, week in week out, where they train against the best, and then you really see the competitiveness and how things
0: change. That's the South Africa women's coach Des Ellis, uh, that audio coming from the Kasafa podcast. So South Africa plays Sweden on Sunday in their opener. They also have Argentina and Italy in their group. Uh, there has been some unrest in the South Africa camp over finances. Um, how do you see them doing, Ida?
3: Right, Steve, we did go quite in-depth recently with the issues the team has been facing. You know, the pay situation and just so many other problems, really, with the federation. Motspe even, stepping in at the last minute there and pretty much saving the situation. So, I do want to focus on the team's chances at the Women's World Cup. Steve, South Africa has been so prominent for so long in African women's football That it's easy to forget, you know, that they only made their debut at the World Cup in the last edition in France. I mean, they got to the Orkin, now rebranded Wafkin final, five times before Steve. And it was a case of always the bridesmaid, never the bride for them. They finished runners-up five times and they only won it for the first time last year. In terms of players, well, I don't think you can really talk about the Banyana of the last few years and not mention Tembi Katlana. But she's just coming back from injury. She left Atletico Madrid last year and she moved to the States where she ended up missing an entire season of the Women's Soccer League with an injury she got while representing Banyana at the WAFCON. That happened in the group stage, meaning that she also missed the team's run to the title. So, Steve, frankly, you know, it is a doubt whether she is on full Katlana mode, as we've seen her in the past. A year out of competition, it's no joke. But hopefully, she is raring to go. So, generally, people are expecting the team to do better second time around. In the 2019 edition, Banyana failed to earn a single point and they scored just one goal in their run. People chalked it up to many things, you know, inexperience, stage fright, perhaps, on the global scene, the biggest of them all. So with that out of the way, the team should be looking to build on confidence. They should look to get points and they should look to score. I think that's a realistic target. Even if they don't make it out of the group, that would be improvement.
0: Yes, that's true. Uh, Hopefully some progress uh, for South Africa's Banyana Banyana. And Morocco are the only African team at the Women's World Cup with controversy-free preparations. Uh, They are by far the least experienced of the four teams. Their opening game is against Germany on Monday. They have Colombia and South Korea also in their group. Um, So what do you think, Ida?
3: Steve, Morocco has set some very high standards for themselves these last few years and it's been paying off. You know, I was thinking about it and it's been three years already since we talked about Morocco launching their plan to grow and professionalize the women's game. They'd already built a women's football academy by then. It's currently the only country in the world with a two-tier women's league that's entirely professional. They hosted the 2022 Women's Africa Cup of Nations and they reached the final. Their girls also played at the Under-17 World Cup in India. I mean, Steve, they talked the talk and then they walked the walk. And part of this development was also bringing in an experienced coach. I'm sure it hasn't been cheap for the federation to get and then to keep Reynald Pedro's. He's a former coach of the Lyon women's team, whose, you know, their pedigree speaks for itself. He came in in 2021, so two years is a pretty good time for a team to gel with its coach and the technical bench. His caliber, simply exceptional. Most notably, winning the Champions League twice, and then voted the best FIFA coach for women's football back in 2018. And with this level of experience, he has been able to attract European-based players into the national team. So it's literally a melting pot of cultures, just like the men's team. And the team definitely has its standout stars. There is the captain, 32-year-old Gislaine Chebak, who comes from a line of Moroccan football royalty. Her late father was part of the Afghan-winning Moroccan squad of 1976, so she's a great inspiration in the country. Fatima Tagnaut, I hope I've pronounced the name well, is a young rising star, 24 years old. She was voted Player of the Tournament at the Women's Calf Champions League in 2022. Now, these two are amongst several players who ply their trade at the popular Armed Forces team as far. I actually don't know if there's any other women's team from Morocco that's got as much traction as this team. They won the second edition of the CAF Women's Champions League when Morocco hosted it last year, adding yet another cap on Moroccan football. And look, while I do appreciate the players coming in from Europe... I always think it's that much better, you know, when the stars are homegrown.
0: Yes, absolutely. That's really good to see. Uh, So, Morocco's prospects?
3: Well, for a first World Cup, I believe just gaining experience would be solid enough. I mean, they're not down under as spectators, right? They are there to compete. But what I mean is it wouldn't be a total catastrophe if they didn't make it past the group stage. Now, with that said, once again, knowing the standards Moroccan football has been keeping of late, I am sure that their objective is to get into the knockout round. The team took part in pre-World Cup friendlies. They got some decent nil-nil draw results against Switzerland and Italy before falling 1-0 to Jamaica. But it's a positive that they're not conceding a lot, and, you know, I'm sure they hope that can stay the case. But Yes, it's just been strides and more strides in Moroccan football. In the same year that the men got to the semifinals of the World Cup, the women debut on the global stage. Simply incredible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We'll see how Morocco do. And we're going to be following the FIFA Women's World Cup here on the show over the next few weeks. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Lionel Messi moving to the U.S. Major League Soccer. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, now let's go to social media. Last week we asked her, do you think that your team will qualify for the FIFA World Cup? As the draw came out last week for the uh, 2026 FIFA World Cup with some very tough groups. So we asked, do you think that your team will qualify? And we had uh, a lot of answers along patriotic lines from optimistic fans uh, thinking that uh, they will make it to the 2026 World Cup. Uh, Jimmy Thomas in Malawi says, I believe the Flames of Malawi can qualify. Uh, Belong Badgie in the Gambia says, I think my beloved Gambia can make it if they fully capitalise on their chances and if they improve tactically. We had lots of comments from Sierra Leone fans. Uh, and samana Koroma says, I believe that Sierra Leone will qualify by the grace of Allah. Uh, Samjo Kefala says, by God's grace, in Jesus Christ's mighty name, I strongly believe that Sierra Leone will qualify for the next World Cup. Uh, Dumbuya Koroma says, by the grace of God, my Leone stars will qualify for 2026. Uh, the Lion Mountain is ready, says Adumbuya. And lots of other Sierra Leoneans were very optimistic indeed, although uh, Freddie Cater says, I am in many minds. And I should point out that uh, Sierra Leone in Group A, along with Egypt, Burkina Faso, Guinea-Bissau, Ethiopia and Djibouti, and only the group winner will qualify automatically el Jarudi Mohammed is in Morocco, saying he thinks the Atlas Lions will qualify again. In the DR Congo, J.P. Bongenga says, I'm sure my team, the Leopards, will qualify for the 2026 World Cup. Uh, we are a great country in football in the DRC. Uh, Joe Rashford in Zambia says, ''I can see our national team going through to the World Cup.'' Olatunji Oladimeji in Nigeria says, ''The Super Eagles will make it.'' Uh, Michael Chelsea Arthur says, ''Ghana will qualify, it's simple.'' Although actually it's not that simple because Ghana are in Group I with Mali, uh, also their smaller teams: Madagascar, Central African Republic, Comoros, and Chad. And uh, we had an objective view from Mukete Williams in Cameroon, saying for me, looking through the groups, it's either Egypt or Burkina Faso in Group A, uh, Senegal in Group B, Nigeria in Group C, Cameroon in Group D, Morocco in Group E, uh, then Cote d'Ivoire, Algeria, and either Tunisia or Equatorial Guinea in their group and in group i it's either ghana or mali says Mukete williams well thanks so much for all of those comments yeah really big optimism all around africa ahead of the start of the qualifiers in november for the 2026 fifa world cup We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And lots to talk about. Uh, First, Declan Rice. He's completed his $130 million move from West Ham
1: to Arsenal. Uh, How good is he, Stuart? He's 24. He was at West Ham for seven years, playing over 200 league games. Born in London, a move to a club within the capital probably suits his domestic life more than, say, going to Manchester City, who we understand were also interested in having him. Another advantage in joining Arsenal, I would say, is that Arsenal are more likely to build the midfield around him, whereas at City he might just have been another midfield player battling for playing time. And particularly with Granit Xhaka, having left Arsenal, and it's expected that the Ghanaian Thomas party will move on. He really can shape the Arsenal midfield. Rice is what we used to call a box-to-box player. He's athletic, a good tackler, a ball winner, comfortable on the ball. He'll add a bit of steel to the Arsenal midfield. A regular in the England midfield with more than 40 caps, he's acknowledged as the best player in that position in the country. And there's a great quote from his uh, new manager, Mikel Arteta, who became quite poetic talking about him. He said, I see Declan Rice like a lighthouse, willing to put light in others and improve other players, make the team better. That's a huge quality to have. The way he talks and presents himself, the ambition he has, the passion for the game, is exactly what Arsenal need. I expect him to do well at Arsenal. By the way, Steve, have I ever told you that I just see you a bit like a lighthouse the way you do this programme?
0: (laughs) Well, thank you very much, uh, Stuart. (laughs) So, um, could be set for a good season uh, to Arsenal, Declan Rice. Um, What about Harry Maguire? Speculation
1: about uh, his future, Stuart? Well, a further blow to Harry Maguire this week is the news that he is no longer the Manchester United club captain. And I think that's a clear indication that his days at the club are numbered. Maguire joined uh, Manchester United from Leicester in 2019 for over $100 million. He's very good at what he does. He's a traditional centre-half, good in the air, good tackler, quite comfortable on the ball. But I would say that he has a tendency to pass the ball back and square. And despite not having much game time at United... He played for England in every game in the World Cup. But the problem, I think, for Maguire is that the game has moved on and the value of the tall centre-half marking a tall centre-forward is much less than it was 10 or 20 years ago. New Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag signed a former player uh, from Ajax, Lisandro Martinez, who is small and quick, and who, in Ten Hag's opinion, fits better into the Manchester United format that he's wanting to develop. Maguire started only 16 games last season, and some of those were for cover uh, for injured player, and appeared at times to be the fifth-choice central defender behind Martinez, Varane, Lindelof, and even Luke Shaw, who was preferred to Maguire, even though playing out of position on several occasions. Now, there was a poll on the BBC website this week asking where will Harry Maguire be playing next season and the results were 60% saying West Ham, 35% somewhere else and 5% only that he will still be at Manchester United. Maguire, on the other hand, has said he wants to stay and fight for his place but it does seem clear that he is not the type of central defender that Ten Hag wants. But the problems the player in finding a Premier League club willing to match his current salary is very real. At the same time, he needs to consider whether he can retain his England place if he's not playing regularly in the Premier League. So I would expect him to be gone from Old Trafford within a month. And staying with Manchester United, it's been reported that Marcus Rashford is on the point of signing a new five-year contract worth $400,000 a week. Good news for the Reds that he's staying. Yeah, so
0: Rashford's staying, Maguire probably on his way out. Now, uh, we'll talk about uh, players moving to Saudi Arabia shortly, but uh, Lionel Messi isn't. Uh, he's confirmed as an inter-Miami player in the US uh, Major League Soccer.
1: Yes, he's uh, going to end his career in America at that club, part-owned by David Beckham. Messi was at Barcelona for 18 years, that's 2003-21, to 21, playing 520 league games, scoring 474 goals. He made 175 appearances for Argentina, over 100 international goals, winning the World Cup. For much of that time, Barcelona were the best team in the world, and a lot of that was down to Messi. In fact, his only serious rival for the accolade of best player in the world was Cristiano Ronaldo. Messi then moved to Paris Saint-Germain in 2021. Two seasons there of quite mediocre, really. He scored 22 goals in 58 games, but of course he was 34-36 to at that time and Aids was catching up with him. Um, The club won the league one of two seasons, but that was normal with or without Messi and they made no impact really on the Champions League. There was also an opinion that Messi made PSG unbalanced in that he was no longer able to do the running in which his game was traditionally built meaning that other players had to sacrifice their role for him. Now at 36 he wants one last hurrah and the two obvious options were the Middle East or USA. I've no doubt he'll make an impact in a league of a much lower standard than the top European leagues. Whether signing 36-year-olds at the end of their career is the best way to develop soccer in America, well, that's another question, but we wish him well.
0: Yeah, good question, indeed. And uh, we're seeing more and more players going to Saudi Arabia, uh, Riyad Mahrez and uh, Jordan Henderson uh, among them, Stuart.
1: Well, a few weeks ago, Steve, I said that I didn't think playing football in Saudi Arabia would be an attractive option to any Premier League players other than those absolutely at the end of their career. Well, the evidence suggests that I was wrong. Because this week, Al etafak managed by Steven Gerrard, have bought the current Liverpool captain, Jordan Henderson. Gerrard's club is also, we understand, speaking to Liverpool's Fabinho and West Ham's Michael Antonio. Henderson signing is a massive coup and probably shows the value of having a manager with credibility and contacts in the Premier League, you know, the way Gerrard has. Certainly in Henderson's case, uh, there's no doubt that the prospect of working with a manager he knows well is part of the attraction. And also for Henderson, he's 33. Liverpool have just signed Alexis McAllister. Henderson, who started just over half Liverpool's league games last season, may feel that it's a good time to look at other options. Rio Mahrez seems on the point of signing for Al who were relegated from the top division last season where he would join Edward Mendy, Roberto Firmino and Murubara at 32 a muslim and not guaranteed a place in the Manchester City team but then who is Mahrez may think he's ready for a new challenge but just looking back on his Manchester City career, 284 games in the Premier League, 82 goals, 61 assists, five times Premier League champion with Manchester City and Leicester, more assists and titles than any other African player in the Premier League history. So, you know, you, you, you can see the attraction. And Steve, something that really intrigued me was an advert which I saw on social media that Saudi Division 3 teams are offering a house and a car and uh, at least $4,000 a week to players. That's in the third division. But we understand that Tottenham's uh, Son Heung-min, who had quite a disappointing season uh, last season, has turned down a lucrative offer to go to Saudi Arabia, saying, I want to prove that I'm still the player I was, And I want to prove that not just to myself, but to the club where I belong. And Son's striking partner, Harry Kane, is certainly not going to Saudi Arabia, but he has had talks with Bayern Munich in Germany, and according to the club, has indicated a desire to join the German champions. He's also been linked with a move to PSG, but Kane has not said anything publicly so far. Yes, that's one mystery yet to be
0: solved ahead of the new season where Harry Kane will be playing. Well, thanks a lot, Stuart. So the start of the Premier League season just three weeks away now and the community shield between Arsenal and Man City is only two weeks away. Well, that's it for this week's show. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Stuart Weir and from Ayada Waringa, thanks a lot for listening and Planet Sport, Football Africa is a passion for sport production.